Welcome to the Psychosphere. My name is David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is Monsel Denton. Monsel is the founder of Sacred Hunting. SacredHunting.com. Go there. It is a, quote, organization that facilitates transformation, self-growth, and eco-spiritual connection to nature. It's a great organization. I've gone hunting with Monsel three times. I haven't I haven't gotten anything yet. I haven't had the chance to kill an animal in a sacred way, of course. Uh, but every experience has been incredible and uh, bonding. And Monsel is an amazing facilitator. And because of that, we've decided to join forces. And we are doing a nine-month men's intensive. And that's what this podcast is about. Uh, he and I are going to talk about... Uh, well, we're each going to talk about our work. And then we're going to talk about our work together. And we're going to talk about the state of masculinity. Because that's why we're we're doing this. It's for men and talk about why. So please enjoy uh, this conversation with Monson Denton. Monson, why are we here? What are we, what are we doing here today? Well, as far as I understand it, we're here to speak about why we've come together in this collaboration, this nine month container. But I'm curious about specific things in you that make you particularly right for leading a masculine container, things you've learned and the mm. work that you've done. And I suspect there are some things that I can share about my experience leading yeah. men over the last three years. We are, we've collaborated, uh, come together for this nine month, men's intensive. There's going to be three events, a uh, deep feeling workshop, which, which I'll lead, which is my, my domain. And then we're going to do a resilience survival type training with a surprise. And then we're going to do a hunt, which will obviously be led by you as it's your domain in, uh, Hawaii in Molokai. Yep. Which you've done before. I've done before, which was great. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, and in between we're going to be having zoom calls and, uh, it's a nine month container. And so we wanted to come together to talk about what we're doing, what our work is. Uh, so people who are interested in this can listen to this and, and get a sense of who we are and, and what we're about and what our intention is and all of that. Does that sound like a proper introduction? I would just add for people who are just tuning in, this isn't going to be, uh, all about our container per se. I yeah. think I'm most interested and usually I create things around what I'm most interested in is what was it that attracted me to you to collaborate? Mm. What was it in you that was receptive to the work that I'm doing that created the, the yeah. confirmation to collaborate? Cause there's obviously resonance or alignment yeah. and that is resonance and alignment that we have an intuition the world needs the world desires that we can put into some type of practice together that's interesting yeah i am curious i'm curious to hear from your perspective what what that resonance feels like for you um and uh yeah i'm happy to share how i what what the resonance is for me um well yeah why why did you come because you came to me and said hey i want to do something yeah what what What's, what's your intuition there? What's your instinct? 
well, you know, we've got to know each other over the course of the last few years. And for context, you, I'm not sure where exactly you heard of me, but you, Eli. Yeah. Okay. So Eli must've found my work and you decided to sign up, uh, for a sacred hunting experience. And you just had happened to move to Austin at the time. And I remember on our call, when we talked on the exploratory call, because I always check in with people, make sure that they're a fit for, for joining, you shared about different plant medicine experiences you had gone through. You shared about the specific sweat lodge and how deep in that the red road you were. And those were some initial seeds that were planted where I just had an intuition. Okay. There's something uh, that is aligned with this person. And this is also somebody that not only can I bring into this world and mentor them in a very specific way, but also there's a lot I can learn. Right. And then we've just continued to, expand the collaboration and expand it. And I think within the last year it's occurred to me most, and maybe this is just a reflection for you in general that you've stepped into maybe a wise elder Mm -hmm. role. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is I think it's (coughs) very heavily reflective in your beard. (laughs) because <laughs> I look at some old pictures yeah. and you're clean shaven. You look great. Do you even have some pictures where you're, you have a much shorter, closer cut beard Yeah, and it just emanates like adult wise person for sure, but not elder. Yes. And so, yeah, in the last year I've seen the elder come out and I think the world and men in particular needs elders now. And that was, so I think that elder energy was intuitively what I was picking up on. Interestingly, I think also what Andrew Tate picked up on, you know, I think there's a lot of people that see the elder in you. Yeah. And that was my cue. So it's the beard, basically. (laughs) The beard is an (laughs) external manifestation of an internal archetypical. Yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, I, I, I was very conscious about, I mean, I, I grew it out just because I just didn't shave. I was just, it's one of those things that, you know, you wake up one morning, you're like, damn, my beard is long. And then I'm looking at myself thinking a lot of what you're saying and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go with this. And then when I got to uh, Romania or when that was going to happen, uh, I thought about trimming it down, you know, to look, I guess, hot, sexy, my best. Uh, but then I was like, damn, man, this is a big, crazy beard. That's probably going to work unconsciously on him or consciously, but probably unconsciously to, to create a dynamic where, yeah, I do represent, uh, an archetype, like a, like an elder, like a wise man. So, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's the beard has been important. It's very strange because I have a gray beard and, uh, I have a, a youthful face and I have a youthful energy. So um, I think my feeling was sometimes it's hard for people. To, and I'm also, I mean, this is how I see myself. You could reflect back <laughs> maybe a different point of view. I'm, you know, I'm a little outspoken. I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm a bit of a madman. Like I'm not your typical psychotherapist, 
calm and measured. I have strong opinions and, but I, I also have, you know, I'm a former athlete. And so I'm, you know, I have a, a, a real aggressive side of me, uh, could have been a, you know, a soldier in another life. I mean, I wanted to go into the military. My uncle who was in the military, uh, early in his life, talked me out of it. So I have all of that in me and there's not a lot of, uh, role models for me out there. Uh, wise men who have that kind of energy. So uh, it's almost like the beard. Uh, yeah, it helps me. It gives me, it gives me, it gives you power. You know, all those directors back in the seventies, just a side note. Um, you pro- I don't know if you know this, but I was a big film buff back in the day, Lucas, George Lucas and Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola, when they were trying to, you know, uh, really cracked the whole studio system. They all grew beards. And one of them, I'm not sure who it was, was no beards represent power. So we all need to have beards, which is really interesting. It is interesting. And especially mm-hmm. when people have the, the, the white coming mm-hmm. in because all of them, well, I don't know about Coppola, but I know Spielberg and yeah. Lucas definitely had yeah. a lot of white, maybe not in the seventies. Well, they do, they do, they do now, but yeah. Scorsese, yeah, there's a few others, but they all had beards. One one distinction that I really you like, have a beard. I do. Hmm. And you always had a beard? No, I haven't actually. When did you? Ironically, it's when 2020 is when it came more consistently, mm-hmm. and that's when I started to have it uh, more regularly. And that was the year that sacred hunting became a thing, right? Uh, and so I'm, I imagine that there's some ties there to my identity and the way in which I was progressing and the archetype that I was stepping into. Right. Uh, a really, a really good distinction that I have heard of that elder archetype. And I'm, I'm curious if you believe this to be true for you is the, the King, the King has a kingdom and there's a certain level of, wanting to prove something that mm-hmm. comes with that king archetype mm-hmm. the transition to elder has a real refined element of like i don't need anything i don't need to prove anything anymore. right uh do you think you know i'm just imagining that after a successful hollywood career and uh, you know, going through you know achieving what i think a lot of men would probably identify as the epitome of masculinity in America. Do you, do you feel like you've moved into a phase where you don't feel like you necessarily have something to prove? Um, that's a good question. Yes and no. I mean, I've lived a life I've had success. And when I look back on all of it, I am proud and, and, and feel like, yeah, I've, I've, I've proved myself. Uh, and, and it is a, you know, when you're a young man and you don't know, like, can I make it? Can I do this thing? Like that, that's what it is to be in your, in your twenties and, and, and in your early thirties, like you're trying to crack it. And so I did that. Like I cracked through in an industry that was very hard to crack and was able to make a good living at it, uh, for, you know, 20 plus years. So there's, yeah, there's a deep satisfaction in that, but now I'm in a whole new area and it's a, it's a new mountain to climb. So there's, there's still a part of me that feels like I do have something to prove, but I, I actually think it's more, I am trying to realize the full expression of, of what it is that I'm doing now. And so the tension that I feel 
is that it's like there's a thing inside me it's it it's out it's it, you know and and but it it's not there's more and um so i'm just, it's more about the full realization of all of who i am in this lifetime and yeah at 54 you start to think or at least i've started to think about legacy and you know, I've accumulated all of this knowledge and then it becomes, well, you know, what do I do with that? And so now the practice is really, or the intention is to accumulate all of that or, or take what I've accumulated and put it together somehow and have it make sense as a, as a philosophy. And so it's working through that. That's the tension that I'm experiencing. Like, okay, what what is my philosophy? I know what it is when I'm working. Like, it's inside me. There's a structure inside me. It's like intuitive. Like, I don't have any doubt when I'm actually working with somebody. I know, and they can feel that. And that's what creates the safety in the room, that they can feel that I know what I'm doing and there's a structure inside me. But if you ask me to articulate it, it's hard. It's almost like an artist. Like, oh, John Mayer, like, how do you make music? It's like, uh... And some can articulate and some cannot. So I'm, it's really the articulation of that so that it can be understood uh, by other people and, and, and grasped in a way that's, uh, uh, yeah, just, just as, a, as a concept, but also as a framework, as a, with a structure. So in, in some sense, what I'm doing, and I think it's one of the reasons that I'm attracted to you, is I've been in my feminine for a long time. I mean, you be an actor, you're in your feminine when you're an actor. Mm. You are, uh, the structure is in some sense given to you by your agents, by your managers. And then once you start to work, <clears throat> you um, are given a script. And so the, the container is set for you. And inside that container, you your job is to, express which is really more feminine and then i got into this therapy and i was drawn to this woman and her work was radical liveness and essentially it was like we're going to go into the chaos we're going to get together in these groups and we're going to take things to the edge of control and I, i'm going to ask you to surrender to your impulses to just say yes to whatever wants to come through you don't hold back and see what happens. And if everybody in the room does that, yes, we're going to go into a kind of chaos, but there is a, uh, there is a cohesion, there's an intelligence in that chaos. And, and if we go all the way into it and come all the way and all the way through and come out the other side, we're going to, we're going to see, uh, and come back into union. We're going to see, we're going to learn something new. And, and I loved it. It was wild. It was out of control. It gave me all this permission. You know, I mean, basically, they were like ayahuasca ceremonies, really. Um, <clears throat> but the one thing that I always struggled with was there's not enough structure here. It's a little too out of control. And I was a, a masculine guy, and I there was a tension there in 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 the school where I was like, "There's not that's not represented here," and there's um, there's value to it. And in the psychotherapeutic space, it's dominated by women. I mean, 80% of psychotherapists are, are women, and most of the people who go to therapy are women. So there is a blind spot in psychotherapy um, and just the healing arts in general. Um, and, and we're living in an age where masculinity has been, uh, you know, come under attack. 
it's been scrutinized and uh, judged. And there's this, this call that it, it needs to change. It needs to evolve. There's something wrong or, or there's an archetype that's outdated and it's no longer of service. And I get that perspective. I see where they're coming from. But when I go back and watch old movies, which I have been lately, and I see those dudes, John Wayne, Gary Cooper, Clark Gable, I'm like, these, these dudes are, that's what it is. These guys are fucking badass. They're sensitive. They're caring. They're loving. But they're strong. And they're direct. And they're forceful. And they're humble. And uh, yeah, there's something, I don't know, there's something in all of that that I'm exploring. But I think what I saw in you is uh, you have a, a lot of structure. You're very masculine. Um, there's a, you have a, a rigidity and I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, you, you know, you're disciplined and, uh, I can see where things are like ordered. Not, that's not all of your character. Cause the more I get to know you, I see that you're a person, you have your own particular, you know, quirks and, and neuroses like we all do, but in general, that's how you orient. And, um, and I've been trying to bring more of that into my life. Well, I want to double click a little bit on what you were sharing in terms of the masculine container for the somatic psychotherapy that you do and what you've been able to bring, you know, obviously you do the, the deep feeling workshops, uh, or the, the new, the new term, the life force workshops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm curious, what have you seen in your experiences being really intimate with some deep felt expressions from the masculine. I know you do, you know, co-ed containers, but yeah. I'm sure there's trends <clears throat> through the masculine that you can share. A lot of shame, a lot of pain, a lot of fear, and a, uh, a lot of confusion, a lot of isolation, a lot of loneliness. And so the masculine, masculine containers that I hold are um, a place where they can unburden that and see essentially that they're not alone. I think it's really hard for men to um, admit their fear. And that's really where I start, um, or I try to start. It's just like, just, just like get comfortable with the idea that you're, you're maybe afraid more than you know. And we tend to override our fear. We don't want to think about it. It's uncomfortable to, to feel it. But in the place where you're unwilling to recognize your fear or your pain or your aggression or your rage or whatever it is, wherever you have unconscious emotions, you're going to act out as a compensation. And that's, that's where we're dangerous, right? That's where we can create problems for ourselves and for others. That's, that's what I see. Because then we're in our defense. And we're not really in reality. We're not able to be present. So all I'm really trying to do is help men get all the way present with everything that they feel. Um, and so, and there's a lot of, as I said, there's a lot of shame, which I would define as not I've, you know, I, I, I make mistakes. I, I've done bad things. You know, I apologize. I, I, I've done bad right? That, that's kind of regret and remorse. That's human. But shame says I am bad. Like there's something at my core wrong with me. I'm not enough. I'm too much. I don't measure up. Uh, and I think men have a lot of very 
primitive, primal impulses around aggression and sex and dominance that they've been told are wrong. And I think a lot of men have gotten themselves into a lot of trouble there because they repress it. So that's that's the contradiction that I'm working with, or maybe the place that it's counterintuitive. All these places inside you that you you think are bad, or you've been told are bad that you feel shame about, um, and that can do damage. But the more conscious you make them, the more you are aware of them, the more you accept them, the more you know yourself there the less likely you're going to act out on those instincts and impulses in, in destructive ways. It's really allowing yourself to say yes to everything that's inside you, including the dark shadow material, and coming to terms with it, and, coming to, and that it's okay. And as I said, from that place, you, you, you begin to gain mastery over it. Does that make sense? Does that track? It makes tons of sense, and it's basically how... I got to where I am today, you know, to see that whole, to see my own journey with aggression. And I'm sure anyone who's listening to this probably can map their own journey as a man, uh, to where they have gotten, you know, anyone who's listening to this is probably along the journey to some degree. Uh, and yeah, in particular, the, the, the shame and the impulses, I really like the way that you speak about fucking them all. Mm hmm. Because it is so, uh, it's it's really easy, I think, for men, especially men who have an openness to self-growth and yeah. to spirituality, to want to polish the shit. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's like, I would love to have sex. No, that's different yeah. than I want to fuck them all. Yeah. Because fuck them all comes with, I want to dominate, I want to have power, I want to be the man in this dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, you're implicitly acknowledging something that's at the deepest level of a lot of men. Yeah. Most men. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Um, and I guess continuing on with, with that question, men have a lot of, a lot of pain, you know, they've been hurt and, I don't think there's a lot of spaces out there for men to really go into those places. Very often, I mean, I know I was disassociated from, I don't want to, who wants to feel their fucking pain? Nobody. So we got hurt in places when we were very young. And then it seems like with men in particular, there's, there's a societal norm around, yeah, nobody wants to feel their pain, but men in particular, weakness shame associated yeah. with feeling the pain or expressing the yes. pain some of the some of the like most gut-wrenching feelings to me have been to, to see how women view the pain in men you know like some my, say more my ex you know she might share with me about what's going on with her her new relationship mm-hmm. and how this man will say something that you know, to me feels like heartfelt and sweet in certain ways. And she's just like railing on him for how unattractive it is, how gross it is. And I think maybe there's some like of her stuff in there, Sure, but I think she's also attuning to a very specific flavor of the way he's expressing Mm -hmm. that 
doesn't resonate with her. And so that's kind of a nuance for men is to really like, what is the right way to express yeah. fully to, and to, to not have it be held in contempt by the opposite, by feminine. Yeah. I, my sense of, I don't know exactly what's going on in that situation, but my sense of what often happens in those situations is there's a need attached that's coming from the man and she can feel that need and not that need is, is, is inherently bad or wrong. It's not that you shouldn't bring your need to your woman, but if it's the need that's coming from the little boy and he's looking on some, it's all unconscious for some kind of approval or reconciliation from the mother, essentially, that is not attractive to women, which is why men's containers are so important because um, they can give themselves permission to feel that pain, uh, understand it, have it held by a container of men, have it seen and recognized, um, shift their perception of it as it's not weak, um, it's not shameful, uh, because generally that pain is coming from uh, a place in their history when they were just a little boy. I mean, I, I'm always reminding men, like there was a time when you were like five and go see a five-year-old and, and see how innocent and pure and open and vulnerable they are. Well, that was you. And that's still in you there is a part of you that is that yes there's also a part of you that's this warrior king tough man but there's this other side to you and i think the place to bring that uh particularly when it's not integrated is is to men to other men and um and then once that pain is integrated and known uh, i think it's much easier to bring it to your woman i mean the way that i think about it is I just try to keep it simple, which is I'm hurt. Like you said this thing, I'm hurt. And I'm not blaming her. I'm not putting it on her. I'm not making her bad or wrong. I'm just saying like I feel hurt and I'm owning it simply. And that's a hard fucking place to get to. It took me a long time uh, to just stand in that. But that's actually power, uh, I think. If you get into the story, if the need begins to come through or you feel some kind of shame or judgment about it, so it's conditional the way you're expressing it, I think that's where it gets complicated. And that that skill is, is it's hard, you know, or just to say I'm scared. <clears throat> that's the thing that I um, think about all the time whenever I feel activated in any way, just even if I'm having a, a, a moment uh, where I'm feeling procrastination or agitation, I, I'm like, what, what, what's actually going on here? What is it that I'm feeling? It's usually fear. It's usually some, the anxiety or what, it's, al it's always fear. And then if I can just name that, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid right now. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. It's, what am I scared of? Uh, well, I'm, I'm scared that if, you know, this thing that I'm working on is no good. The, you know, things, people aren't, I don't know, it's not going to work out. I'm going to fail. People aren't going to like me. I'll be rejected. And then usually I'm like, well, am I in reality there? Probably not. 
Is that actually more connected to my history? Yeah, probably. And then immediately I'm more present with what I'm feeling. And then once I'm more present with what I'm feeling, the, the feeling tends to dissipate much more quickly. So that's, that's, you know, I'm saying the same thing in some sense over and over again, but from a different angle, but that's, that for me is really the work. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does make sense. And it to it's funny how we can kind of talk through why our intuition brought us together in a lot of ways, because there's that expression that the container that you create for feeling is a relatively sophisticated way for the masculine to be in touch with all of those things as they're speaking to each other and to then express them, to let them dissipate. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, that's a particularly unique space yeah. for people to be in. And on my side of the spectrum, one of the reasons that I bring what I do is masculine in, in sense. It's, creating a certain type of container for men to go through uh, an, an embodied experience mm -hmm. that creates something. And I've, I, I've chosen and resonate with hunting because there is an element of masculine confidence mm -hmm. that is symbolized in that act because it is such a primal, longstanding component of of, of masculinity. Yeah. One of the reasons Jordan Peterson is such a proponent of having men make their bed in the morning is not because there's something inherently necessary about making the bed is because that stands in as a representation of taking responsibility for your life. And I consider hunting to be a representation, a stand in, for confidence in oneself, you know, can I live in this world on my own? That's yeah. one thing if you got ones and zeros in the bank account. It's another thing if you know the deepest component of what it means to be a man in our history, our species yeah. history, you can fulfill that. Uh, so I, I, I'm appreciating in this yeah. moment just seeing the reflection of the the deep feeling component, which yes. is so necessary yeah. in the container to do that. That's right. And then, okay, go out into the world and embody what you want. Yeah. And bring. I think that's exactly why I was attracted to you and wanted to do something with you because my work, it, it doesn't include that really, which is why I wanted to, I've been thinking about it. Like I, I need to add more components to it, which I can only do if I create a longer container. So there's different, um, events or different challenges. And I, I could see that men really, uh, respond to that. Like, uh, you, you know, it's, whether it was sacred sons or even my own, I do a 16 week men's intensive where we meet online for 16 weeks. And then they come to Austin. We do a, a three day workshop. The sweat lodge is, very often the highlight for people because it's a physical fucking ordeal that they have to get through. And it's scary. It can be, especially if it's your first time, cause it can get, you know, fucking hot in there. And, um, and men love it. They love that challenge. And, uh, and, you know, we were talking the other day 
about the apo- the coming apocalypse and you know what what are you doing to get prepared and you're like I'm I'm good to go. I I know how to hunt, I know how to skin an animal, I know how to cook it. Like I don't I'm not worried about anything. And which is a very powerful place to be and what man doesn't want to be in that place knowing that no matter what happens, I can survive. I'm good. And so that I think that component uh of of the work for men is very very important uh yeah giving confidence and and feeling like i i can survive in this world and thrive yeah i have some so i have some questions that i thought of recently what is a what is your most at least publicly controversial view in the subject of masculinity and why do you believe it? <laughs> wow. Um, I don't know how controversial this is anymore. I think that... I think men should lead in most areas of society. Um, it doesn't, I'm not saying exclusively. I'm not saying we should exclude women. But in general, I think it is the responsibility of men to, to lead, to provide the structure, to provide the framework, um, and to create the safety. That's not coming from women. I mean, there was a guy that I heard make this argument that the only reason that women have rights is because men give them to them. That men give women their rights. And of course, you hear that, and you're like, what, 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 what the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. And he's saying, well, who's going to enforce those rights? Men. So if the men are the ones who are going to force the rights given to women, then it's men who give women their rights. And that sounds, I don't know how that sounds, but when I first heard it, it was it, it was a bit of a mind fuck. But there's a logic to that. And you could say, well, that that creates a dynamic in which men can dominate women and oppress them. True. But once you know that that's the real reality of it, as a man, I feel this incredible responsibility. It's like, I have to do that in a good way. I have to show up for women in a good way. I have, in some way I'm, what am I here? What am I here? Right. What, what is motivating a lot of what men do is to provide, protect, and care for women. And that's something I don't think that women tend to understand, that a lot of our life is oriented to women. I mean, you talk to any fucking young actor, rock star, why does a, a, a guy in their 20s want to make it, gain social status and money? So they can get a hot chick. I mean, that's, you know, that's really what's driving us. And that's a, that's a you know, a primal thing. It's just an evolutionary thing. We want access to the highest uh, uh, status mate. And women are doing the same. That's why the hottest girls marry the, the highest status men. So that that is uh, that is inside us and, and to be aware of that, but also to to take real responsibility. I believe the, I believe in the patriarchy. I'm pro-patriarchy. Uh, I think that's generally the natural order. I, I think that can become corrupted. And I think it has. And I think that's why you're seeing what's going on. 
Um, although I would argue that, you know, I don't think it's exclusively on men. Women have a lot of fucking power. If you've ever dated or married a woman, you know, you're under no illusions that they have a lot of fucking strength and power. Um, so they've participated in that in their own way. But ultimately, you know, I think it's men who have to set the world straight. And they're going to do that by taking responsibility for themselves and what they're doing to create a world that is um, safe for their woman and for their children. And so what I would say to men is learn how to lead because the more that you do that, the more confidence you can feel in that, the more the feminine is going to relax. And the more she's relaxed, the more you're going to get that thing, that, that, that beautiful feminine energy and love and devotion that you're longing for from her. Yeah. And I imagine there's a component for the masculine, the way that you've described it, I can see how it could, you know, trigger or offend certain people, especially pro patriarchy. (laughs) Uh, We'll have to take that snippet and put it on social media. Yeah. But what I'm imagining too, is that one, that responsibility piece is, is huge. Yeah. And that I think first and foremost is personal responsibility. Yes. Before anything else, how am I supposed to take care of a family and children, the world community, the world, et cetera, if I can't even look at my own shit and That's right. feel my own shit. That's right. So most of what I suspect is vilified as the patriarchy is unconscious masculine nonsense. That's, That's right. not being looked at. It's repressed. It's, 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 it's not actually the, ma- it's, it's a little boy. It's not actually like the full expression of the masculine. That's what's being That's right. rejected. And, Secondly, I have noticed for the masculine, even in a place of leadership, there's such a beauty in being able to attune, and that's part of the responsibility, attune to where the feminine has an expression of a gift that's super valuable. Yes. And when to follow that. That's right. Because there's so many times in relationship where, you know, the the feminine might be coming with something that's just so deeply intuitively felt and it doesn't make any logical sense. But the work is I trust your intuition. Well, that's part of leadership is knowing when to follow, having the wisdom to, to know that there is some other intelligence here that maybe you don't understand or, or you're not connected to in the way that she is. And you, you honor it and, and surrender to that in some way. A- absolutely. It's like if you're leading the dance and you're not attuned to the, your partner, well, you're not going to lead the dance very well. So in that sense, yes, you are technically leading the dance, but if you are tuned to her and she's alive in herself, you're kind of leading it together, right? You're, you're just, you're just providing the structure, but it's, it's off her energy. You're, you're feeling her, you're sensing her and you, you're taking her in places where you feel like she wants to go and, uh, and that are going to excite her. So it's, it's all, it's all, a. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, this is the, it's the polarity. It's the, the dance of the masculine and feminine. And if, once you've had that experience, and I, I, I hope that most men have in that dynamic, and I have it in my relationship, I didn't, I, it was the, this is really the first relationship I've ever had it in, but I also have it in my work relationship when I do the deep feeling slash life force workshops uh, with my work partner, Angela, we are very much in that dynamic. And I remember the moment when she said to me, uh, are you holding back? 
And I said, well, you know, I, I'm a pretty dominant personality. I want to give you some space. She's like, don't hold back. Don't hold back for me. Like just, I'm like, but I'll take over. She's like, it's fine. I want you to lead. And she, what she said to me is it gives me more space. If I don't have the responsibility to lead, to build the structure, then I can just be all the way in my intu intuition. And, and she can relax. And then her gifts, her intuitive gifts can come all the way through. So in some sense, it looks like if you're at one of our workshops that I, I'm more the leader, but if you, by the end of the workshop, you, you can feel that that's not true. Maybe I say more, maybe I'm more active, but no, it's, 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 we're in harmony. We're in sync. And I don't even know, I, I could say that some of the leading that I'm doing or the impulses I have may be informed psychically because we're so attuned by what's going on inside her. So I can't, I can't separate anything. I'm just playing my role. I'm just, I'm just in playing my function in that dynamic and that harmony uh, if you surrender to it it's fucking beautiful and it feel there's so much i don't know life and and energy there i mean it's all and it's all in sex right it's all it's literally what is sex doing well you're you're creating life and it's all it's all in that act in the in the in the penetration and in the surrender of the, the feminine, but it's also the masculine surrendering to his, his impulse. Um, so it's, it, it, yeah, we, and I think we have some distorted ideas about power around that. Um, but it's, it, the, 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 once you're in it, you, you realize very quickly that the power is completely, uh, evenly distributed. It's funny you say that because going into a world that I entered, you know, three years ago, not super deeply, but I have appreciated the philosophical framework for BDSM mm -hmm. and how the, the Dom and the sub, for those who are not familiar, there's the Dom dominant sub submissive. Oftentimes it is broken along masculine feminine lines and in the container of a BDSM experience, it is very much a microcosm of a macrocosm. There is, in, in that experience, there is a pre-negotiated container that's created, that creates safety. So the, the Dom will ask the things that are off limits, the things that the sub, sub appreciates and has fantasies around, whatever the case is. Then the Dom uses that to create a container mm. for the sub to go on a journey, oftentimes of surrender, pleasure, etc. Yeah. But at any given time, in the philosophical understanding that I have learned from someone named Om Rupani and Lori Handler, the sub is always in control with her no. That's right. And with her boundary and it is the Dom's, you know, objective is to attune and also the sub's objective is to express yes. herself fully, but also her boundaries when they, mm -hmm. when they've been uh, transgressed. And so in that dynamic, they say the sub has 100% responsibility for themselves. Right. 
the DOM has 200% responsibility in the container. Interesting. For themselves and also the sub. Right. So it's a, it's a, those kinds of sexual experiences that involve power dynamics within the context of BDSM are really good representations of masculine feminine dynamics on the whole where they can work together, where they can maybe be perceived with judgment from an outside view. Wow. This is abuse. Yeah. But in reality is, uh, a pure expression of the polarity between the masculine mm-hmm. and the feminine. It's interesting that 200%, I guess the implication if we're, if we're putting men generally in, in the, the Dom, like then we, I don't want to say we have more responsibility than women, but, but who knows? But, but what you're saying is we have responsibility for ourselves, but we also have responsibility for the other. And we have to take that on. And I can feel the place where I resent that, uh, fuck that, uh, probably having to do with my mother. Cause I had to take care of my mother and I'm, I'm, so there's some distortion there. And, uh, but, but I also can feel the place where there's a lot of fulfillment there and, and I, I guess spiritual mastery, um, taking that on fully is a challenge and it requires an immense amount of discipline and humility and a, uh, a surrendering of the ego. But I can feel uh, on the other side of that. And I've had that experience. Uh, there's the deep sense of fulfillment. And so that, which tells me that that it's built in, there's a mechanism there. It's almost like if you want your highest fulfillment, that's that's the task that you're going to have to take on and execute, which is a fucking hard task. And it's going to every button you have, all of your shit is going to be activated. But if you can work through that on the other side of it, there's something really, really beautiful. And I can also imagine the sub in relationship to that Dom who's really in their mastery, I mean, how grateful are they going to be? How happy are they going to be? How, how much, uh, love and appreciation are they going to bestow upon the one who is able to hold that experience for them? And, and who doesn't want that? The irony is your intuition is so spot on. And in fact, part of that Dom sub dynamic is an invitation, a strong invitation that within that dynamic, especially if it's long term, it's not just one scene, the sub has to be in devotion to the Dom in other ways. It could be writing love notes every day. It could be uh, a foot bath. Literally, mm. these are the specific things. Foot be- bath. You hear that, Diana? <laughs> because that 200% responsibility in the container is so much, you know, the way Ohm says, yeah. is you're pouring so much into them. Yeah. If it's only one way, it will never work. There has to be That's right. a requisite devotion that balances the dynamic. Interesting. And this is my edge. Can you receive that? 
Because can I receive a foot bath from Diana, a devotional foot bath? I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that wants it, but there's another part of me that's un- almost uncomfortable with that, um, which I think is another. I mean, that's, that's an edge that I have. I mean, just to take it to my personal life, um, you know, I had a mother, and I think a lot of men, I'm going to share this story because I think a lot of men out there will, will relate. My dad wasn't really around, um, and so I had a, a very young mother, and in some way she turned me into to the man. And uh, my bind was, uh, I want my mother, I love my mother, I want to be close to her, I want to hug her. But also she, her need that should be, have been directed towards my father is coming at me. Well, that need, it's too much. I can't meet my mother's need. And I know that on some level. And yet I want to, because I feel like I have to. And so it creates this bind where I want the woman, but I'm, uh, uh, closed off from her in some way as a, as a protection because the need feels overwhelming And so, um, I'm actually unable to receive what she has to give because it feels like there's something attached to it. And so I, I I block it. And so this has come up in my relationship with Diana. It's like, I have a hard time receiving because I have a belief that if I really surrender and let myself receive all of her love, all of her devotion, I'm a little boy with his mother smothered and I, I lose my autonomy in some way. I understand that's a distortion, it's an illusion, but it's a very persistent one because of my history. And, and I also can feel when I'm unable to receive that Diana's love and devotion, she experiences it as rejection, of, which of course, I want to give you my love, I want to give you my devotion. Uh, well, yeah, no, I'll take some of it, but it's uncomfortable for me. She's what, what else is she going to feel but rejected? So learning to receive, and I think this is the king energy, really learning to receive love and adoration and hold that, not let it go to your ego, not to make some power dynamic about it, but actually understand in the receiving of it, you're actually serving because it feels good to give, uh, love and devotion. So that's, that's, you know, uh, yeah, that's that's actually the work that I'm engaged in right now, presently. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I can see how, even as you're expressing it, I'm like, oh, there's this thing and this thing in my new relationship. Right. Everything that's present. Yeah. Even down to the calling me honey. <laughs> <laughs> like when when Kendall says honey. Uh-huh. There's a part of me that's like, <laughs> and it's. It, I think as you're sharing it, I'm realizing that it's a receiving part. Yeah. Can I be something that's perceived as like the sweet place of connection mm-hmm. and devotion for her? Yeah. And that constriction is my virtually identical Mm -hmm. experience as you, you know, my father early on was an alcoholic. Luckily he, he got sober, but he was just so emotionally expressive and Mm -hmm. unable to create a masculine container for himself and his own expressions. Mm -hmm. Very early on, my mom would share things with me like, you know, you need to be the adult and she would, I was an only child, a son, and 
we traveled all over the world together and my dad didn't come. And there was like kind of a dynamic going to Europe with my mom, going to India with my mom, where it's like us against the world. Right. And I love that. And in retrospect, I too, at the time, felt like something was off. Yeah. Like we're too close. Yes. And I even had a process when I was an adult where I had to create, I just naturally had to create some separation to rebalance Mm -hmm. where I became much closer to my dad. Yeah. Polarity just flipped. Yeah. And so, you know, I suspect that's true for a lot of men. Yeah. Because there's just generations of men absent and then becoming closer to the mother. Mm -hmm. And then that continues to perpetuate until men hopefully can just do the work to open their heart fully. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to, there's a lot to, to work through, (laughs) to work through there. I mean, the devouring, we talk a lot about the, uh, the tyrannical father, but the devouring mother, and we hear Peterson talk about it. It's, it's very important to, uh, uh, to look at that. Um, and it, it's uncomfortable, uh, because we, uh, there's an instinct to protect mothers. And I think that instinct is correct. Being a mother is fucking hard because, uh, one, you, you, you give your body and, and life over and, and we know like hormonally they change. They're never the same ever again once they've had children. And, um, I don't think there's a child that doesn't have the experience of at some point of hating their mother, uh, whether they're conscious of it or not. Uh, it's, it's part of the individuation process. And it's a, it's a very, it's a very, it's a burden that I think mothers bear. I, and I think fathers bear their own burden, but it's, so I understand the instinct to, to protect the mothers because of how vulnerable it is at the same time we have to look at it because it's so it's everywhere i mean i I, that when i look out in the culture and i see what's going on it just seems like an epidemic of borderline personality um which to me is 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 exactly that it's the devouring mother or 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 the tyrannical father both cases but uh when i see it in men the, the kind of narcissism i mean that that's where it starts um it comes from uh, at least in my case, my, my, the qualities of narcissism that I have absolutely came from, uh, the dynamic that I had, uh, with my mother and the defense that I had to, uh, bring up in order to, to, to compensate for that, for, for, uh, because you're, you're, you, as a child, you're, you know, you're vulnerable, you're helpless you, you, and you, you do what you have to do to survive. And, and that gets imprinted and, uh, becomes our operating system. Then we take it out into the world and then we wonder why, you know, some, our relationships are distorted and we can't figure it out. Um, you know, anyway, but that's, this is all the kind of stuff that we get into at the, at the deep feeling workshops, all this stuff. It's a really interesting conversation, but I think, yeah, I think most, most men can relate to it and they're, they're longing to have these conversations. They, they may not know it exactly. Uh, some, um, and they may be afraid of it, which I understand. I was terrified of it. It's scary. You know, you start going inside yourself, you know, you don't know what's there. And 
you don't know what's going to come out. You don't know and if it can be controlled or. That's right. Yeah. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, how long have you been hunting? When did you start hunting? Yeah, I've hunted six years. I did not grow up hunting. My father grew up hunting, but had so much trauma associated with it that he never brought it up to me, never shared anything uh, about his hunting experience. And when I was going through the initial uh, practice of hunting, when I started for the first time, I'm a felon. I have a history where I can't use a rifle. So I had to go into bow hunting immediately. And I share this story ad nauseum, but you know, basically a a month before my first hunting experience, I went and did ayahuasca for the first time for a week in Peru. It was, it was actually in California and it was a men's retreat. So it was all men, a lot of my close friends and went into this retreat with a very open mind. And a lot of stuff came up about, about hunting, about the fact that I was going to be killing this animal. Mm. And so it was, is, you know, those experiences in close proximity that really gave a framework for what hunting means to me as a practice. It's not just a skill. It's not just something I go out and do as a hobby. It's not right. just a way to put food on the table. It yeah. is all of those things. Um, but you know, as my book subtitle reflects and as a lot of things, you know, reflect it's rekindling an ancient spiritual practice because this is a practice just like people do yoga and it's not about the movements and stretching. Mm -hmm. It's about the breath and the consciousness that Mm -hmm. comes with the movement in that way. The same is true for my personal hunting practice. So it was really the ayahuasca experience. I mean, that was before you hunted at all, and that changed your the dynamic, the relationship to it. And then at what point did you, where did the idea come from, sacred hunting? Well, yeah, so the ayahuasca experience created, for the first time ever, and this is interesting for some people to consider who might be religious, I grew up without any specific religion in the household. Dad grew up Mormon, mom grew up Hindu, but neither practice. And so the first time I ever prayed in my life was in ayahuasca when I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill this animal. Yeah. And I started crying. Wow. Because I just saw the image of the animal and I just all my sensitivities and sensibilities around, you know, killing this animal, it felt so sad. Mm. Uh, And so I started crying and that's when I asked God, please just allow my arrow to go straight through the heart and kill this animal quickly and cleanly. That was the first prayer I ever made to God. That's interesting that you have this intense sensitivity uh, in relationship to animals and yet you kill them. Yeah, it is. It continues to be quite a journey for me because I I count 
all of the animals that die on sacred hunting experiences. Mm-hmm. I count all the ones that are wounded. Uh huh. So I'm, you know, 155 animals have died. 17 animals have been wounded. And then I, even to this day, you know, less than a month ago, I went into ayahuasca ceremonies with a lot of my facilitators from sacred hunting and a huge, heavy thing to process where I had to really release a lot was the fact that my life, the gas I put in the vehicle to come here, the food that I eat, everything that I do, travel, rent, everything is paid for by people coming to kill animals. Mm -hmm. And I don't take that lightly. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a burden that I have to allow myself to grieve and come to terms with, even as I know it's the right thing for the world to have this available. There's no question about the, the, the righteousness of it for you. Correct. But there is an absolute tension. And I think this is the original tension that our ancestors felt. Mm Mm-hmm of I love this thing it is a marvel of god it is a marvel of nature and yet I need it to survive yeah and so I'm both proud and and feel happy that I can provide this not mm. just for myself but for others and at the same time saddened that it is a necessity of life so interesting. I, I, I cut down my first tree recently and I had a, a similar experience. I, I mean, even now thinking about it, I'm I feel bad about it. You know, like it's a tree. Trees are awesome and they're alive in a different way. And do they have a consciousness? I mean, we don't, maybe, maybe in a way that we don't understand, but, um, yeah, I guess I relate to it in that way having that experience well i've never killed an animal i mean i've been out with you uh but i haven't uh it hasn't gone my way yet uh but all the experiences have all been incredibly profound and i'm trusting of of what what's what's happened uh, um so i don't know how i'm gonna feel uh when i when i kill an animal yeah what i'm curious what that's been like for you to go on you know we've been on three experiences mm-hmm. it's it's you know, over half the people who come on a hunt are successful. So it's statistically very unlikely that you would be in that position. And so I'm curious what has come up for you around it. What has, yeah. What's that journey been like over multiple years? I've never really questioned it. I've, I've never, there's never been any self doubt or I did something wrong or I could have done this. Um, I mean, I'm, there was one moment in, uh, last time in Molokai where I learned something and this was, this is true of my personality and, and something to work on where there was a shot and I waited for the guide to tell me what to do. And I should not have done that. I mean, I should have checked with him or been more like, I think, but I was a little confused. I don't know. Is that too far? I didn't know. Um, 
And in some way I could have said, well, he should have done that, but he didn't. And I don't know that he should have. Uh, I think he was waiting, in some sense, waiting for me. And so there was, that's the only moment I, I regret that I wasn't more assertive with that. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know, I'm trusting. I'm, I, I think my biggest uh, task right now is, is patience. I mean, that's what life seems to be trying to teach me. Um, you know, thing, everything's great in my life, but there's, you know, as I was talking about it earlier, earlier, there's this thing that wants to come through me and it's not, I'm not fully realized yet in, in what it is that I'm doing and I'm impatient about it and I don't like it. Um, and I talk a lot. I share this story with my clients about the, uh, the story from Zorba, the Greek, where he finds a, a cocoon and, and he can see that the, the butterfly on the inside is starting to, to break out. And he's like, he's going to witness this moment, this miracle. And, but it's taking a long time. So he, he picks it up and he, he breathes warm breath onto it to try to speed up the process, which it does. But of course, uh, when the butterfly comes out, it's, it's not fully formed and it falls to the ground and dies. And it's just a beautiful les lesson, I think. And, letting, uh, you know, patience and letting nature take its course. And so that's, that's the meaning that I'm making of it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just needing to be patient and, uh, and, uh, and trust that. But even without the, the kills, the experience of, of it has been every time it's been phenomenal. Um, just to be with people, uh, mostly men, although we did have uh, a woman with us uh, the one time and she got a kill and that was really powerful because her uh, uh, family, her father is a hunter and, you know, on the surface, she's not, <laughs> she's, she's not an alpha kind of girl. She's like a, a femme femme lady. And that was, that was incredible to see. Uh, so they've all been profound. And so I don't have any I don't know any self doubt about it. I'm just trusting like it'll, it'll come when it will come. I don't, I don't feel that there's some fear. Like, I, I guess you could go there. Is there, is there some way that I'm afraid to do it or don't want to do it? And so it's, it, that's for that reason, it's not being made manifest, but I don't, doesn't feel like what's going on, but, but maybe, but I, I won't, I won't, I guess I'll only find out when that moment comes. And, uh, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, then I'll know how I respond and, and how I feel afterward. Yeah. I, I really encourage people to, just as you've done, just make meaning. Yeah. Co-create the meaning from right. the experience that God, the universe is putting in front of you through the microcosm of a hunting experience. Yeah. And, you know, it could be, you've got plenty of lessons about patience in your life, which I'm sure you do. And sometimes it's nice to have the visceral feeling of being in Hawaii, in the sun, in the dirt, with an animal in your sights, with the adrenaline, to remember patience. That's right. Yeah. It's great. The, the, the experience that you provide uh, is fantastic. It's uh, very well led. Uh, and that was the thing that I was struck by 
you know, cause you're a relatively young guy and, uh, you're a really good leader. You're a really good facilitator. And, you know, we had some uh, complicated <laughs> situations, particularly on the first hunt that, um, you know, uh, you handled, uh, really, really well. So I was impressed with that. Um, your leadership there and your, your ability to, to speak directly and clearly, uh, teach well and, uh, but also hold it lightly. Cause of course, it, it, uh, this is how I think about it as well. Like w- what is this all about? You know, that whether it's the hunting trip or the deep feeling workshop, this nine month container, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to grow. You're going to be challenged. You're going to know more about yourself on the other side. All of that is going to benefit you immensely in your life. But in some way, uh, more than anything, it's like nine months with a community of men just to bond and connect and and to be intimate and have shared experience. That's what I always take away. It's like the people, right? The community, the the contact. I mean, I grew up playing on sports teams and uh, I don't have that anymore. And I, I'm, that's the thing I miss most in my life. And now I've recreated it. Um, through my sweat lodge community, but it's, it's a little bit different, um, uh, to be on a shared mission with a group of guys, uh, all pulling in the same direction. And also knowing that stuff's going to come up, like, uh, your stuff's going to come up and your stuff with other people may come up. I mean, conflict may arise because there's people that you, you resonate with people you don't, somebody's going to annoy you. All of that stuff is grist for the mill. And, uh, provides opportunity, um, for, for growth. And so, yeah, I I think people are longing for community now more than ever. I mean, I think you and I are fortunate that we have good community and good friends, but I know a lot of men out there are probably, uh, isolated. It's very easy to, you know, you, you get married, you have kids or, or, or not, you're even single and, um, uh, to, to, you're on this treadmill and, um, you lose, I don't know. You, you you lose that thing, and, and then you wonder: is it is it gone forever? And uh, and I also think that's a big fucking problem with men right now. They don't have that. They don't have community. They don't have other men. They're not bonding for whatever reason. It's not available to them, or they're afraid of it. Or I think uh, also for men who are particularly watching this, having men that they really actually connect with. Yeah, it's one thing to have a bunch of beers with your friends on the weekend and watch some sports game. And there's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But, but we, part of the reason why we have that is because we live in Austin and you can throw a rock and there's someone who's doing their own work yeah. and wanting to, you know, create some higher level consciousness within the world. And so I really like Balaji Srinivasan's, she has, he has a whole book, the network state around this idea of a shared ideology despite disparate geographical positions yes. and coming together, you know, he's talking about digitally cause we've got all the tools to yeah. do that and we will, uh, you know, on yeah. the zoom calls, but then also coming together in person and just going through that <coughs> hero's journey together. Yeah. And, you know, I think, yeah, if 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 there's anyone, wa- I, I say that because if there's anyone watching this who wonders, like, what is it about me that's broken that I don't have the community that I want? Yeah, uh, it may not be you as much as it is the fact that you're yearning for for some like-minded connection that exists in little lighthouses all over the world 
that are coming together. And all the men and the, the, the one woman, I mean, who, you know, I was uh, out with, uh, they're just all awesome. Like everybody is fucking interesting and cool and has their own story. And, uh, and also, you know, these experiences are vulnerable. It's fucking vulnerable. Uh, cause you know, you go out in a little group and it's your turn and there's the animal and it's like, you, that's your moment. And uh, are you going to, you know, pull the trigger in a, in a way that's true and clean or not? Like it, there's a little bit of pressure there and, and, and everybody relates to it. There's, it's, it's not machismo at all. That's, that's the other thing that I want to say. It's like, there's a, there's a, there is a firm masculine container, but it's, it's not at all macho. It's, it's very supportive, very loving, very understanding, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, uh, a lot of ball busting, all that stuff, which is what, you know, that's what, that's what we want. So, um, that's a big part of it. I think, um, that's why I, I mean, I want, I came on the experience initially because I, you know, I wanted to hunt. This seemed like a perfect opportunity. Um, talk to you. You seemed, uh, you know, I, now I know, but just even in that first hit, I was like, okay, this guy's a reasonable man and about something. Um, but I was looking for, I had, to, I had to fucking meet people. I just got to Austin. I was like, I need, I need to meet some dudes, you know, and, uh, I need community. I got to make some friends here. And, uh, and there are, yeah, it's not just you, but there's other people from, from these hunts that have, that are now, uh, in my life. And, uh, and I'm, I'm super grateful about that. Do we, do you want to say any more about the deep feeling workshop, the sacred hunt hunting in Hawaii? And then do, maybe we should say a little bit about, uh, the resilience training. Sure. I, I'll, I think we should keep it relatively vague and ambiguous for intentional reasons. Yeah. But, uh, as you know, and as I know in different ways, endurance and resilience and agency and sovereignty are cornerstone masculine pieces. Mm -hmm. You know, I developed it in six months in the Texas State Penitentiary. You've had your own experiences of endurance, you know, even before the Red Road, but with the vision quests and yeah. Sundance. And it's just a powerful thing. It's powerful to be physically forced to endure something. You wouldn't really choose if you weren't pushed to do it. Yeah. And I think that's the reason why David Goggins is popular and Jocko Willink and everything. And I don't necessarily resonate with with them all the way yeah uh, in, you know because there can be a, a for people who tend to overdo it there's a kind of a masochistic like i need to be punished yes place that it's coming from but i do think it is a healthy masculine practice to to go through and i do want to leave it ambiguous because i think that reckoning with that and the the unknown the unknown and what the unknown brings mm -hmm. you know i can i can i can perceive of of someone who could say i paid for this <laughs> you know right yeah and i want them to go through yeah. that anger resentment whatever 
That's right. That they need to come through. That's right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, well, I can just say for me, the these uh, arduous experiences that I've had through uh, the Red Road, Vision Quest, and Sundance. Uh, yeah, it's it's everything. I'm it, the what I've got from that, what I've learned from that. It's hard, uh, but I've done two years of Sundance now. The first year was the harder than the second year in part because I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how I was going to respond to it. So I was terrified, you know, not to mention the first day of purification. It was the two hottest lodges I've ever fucking been in, in my life. And I was like, is this what it is? Every fucking lodge is going to like kill me. And it wasn't that. Um, but once I got on the other side of it, and uh, and the second year was in part because we had we had some favorable weather and a lot of cloud cover. But man, I can't wait to go back, and it's this weird feeling. Uh, I I can't wait to go and suffer for four days and to be put uh, in this extreme situation. And I think one is because I I know I can endure it, I, and how good it feels. I know how good it feels to get through it and and get to the other side. But also, you're with people. You're it's with like people. you got a whole crew of sun dancers, man, and you're all in it together, and it's fucking the best. Yeah, you're with people, and I would say, in a way, if you, it's a unique way to connect with God too. You're with God. You're with higher power. You're, you have no choice. Right? That's that's the whole point of it. Yeah. You know, you're gonna be broken down in a way um, that. It, 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 you have to go to God. You have to pray uh, to get through it. You have to surrender something or you're really going to fucking suffer. And the things that have happened to me, the realizations that I've had out there uh, on the blanket, uh, you know, in the arbor uh, have been so profound. I mean, I've had profound experiences in everything that I've done and I'm sure it's all, you know, cumulative and, and, and builds on each other, but man, there's something about that, that, uh, it's it's hard to explain. I'll just say this: those Native Americans had it had it they had something really deep figured out. There is a deep wisdom and knowledge in their, you know, quote unquote technology. The technology of these ceremonies that that puts you into contact. And may and maybe that is bringing up God. It's a good I don't know segue to talk about just that. Like all of this, in some way, is about that. Like bringing you closer to. Uh, closer to God, closer to spirit, closer to your higher self. Um, and I think that's also something I'm, I see a lot in the, in the culture. It's like, it, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now, it, it, I, I, I feel like if you don't have God or, you know, whatever that is for you, but some kind of spiritual practice, some kind of connection, I, I think it's, it's so hard because you're going to feel alienated alone. Um, the tendency to, to fall into despair and helplessness and cynicism. So not that we're here, you know, preaching about God, but I, I guess what I would say is God will be present, you know, or there'll be the opportunity if that's what you want to be able to connect to God, to nature. I mean, we're going to be out in nature. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that is God. Exactly. That that is my, and that's 
that is the indigenous way yeah too to view that which is unknown great mystery yeah and all around us and and all through us and it requires a certain amount of courage to open ourselves to that possibility it's vulnerable mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a it's a vulnerable place yeah yeah in a humble place any any anything else that that we need to say or talk about uh for anyone i mean th- this is obviously geared towards anybody but um specifically specifically for anybody who's curious about whether it's this program or just th- this kind of thing in general is there anything else that you think we need to say or you want to express you know when i first did my ayahuasca experience for the first time the one that i shared earlier mm-hmm. i was i remember feeling like conflicted about mm, is this too much money to spend on this kind of experience and i remember i asked my partner at the time i i said you know should i go on this it's it's you know kind of a big investment and she said if we weren't together would you go on the experience? Mm. And the answer was yes. You know, if, if I didn't have some kind of like safety routine, I'm complete here. I would for sure want to go seek deeper into myself and understand myself and heal whatever is there to heal and become the greatest version of myself. And it was such a poignant question. And so I decided to invest and do it. And so, yeah, I imagine people who are listening to this might have this inner place that's drawn to it. You know, if they're they're listening to this point in the, in this podcast, (laughs) there's probably a part of them that's like somewhere it's, there's a yes. Yes. And you know, I, I, I think it's it's also very valuable to be pragmatic and look at your responsibilities and all that kind of thing. But I have found in my per, my life the times when I have listened to that intuition mm-hmm. and just said yes, they've been the greatest transformational experiences of my life. Yeah. And, you know, this is a practice of reconciling the needs of the flesh and the needs Mm -hmm. of the spirit. And I hope that, and I believe that you and I create something special for people to, to find the needs of the spirit. Yeah. I feel similarly. I've invested a lot of my resources, money into, um, self exploration. And, um, I feel very proud of it. I I feel like it's the best investment that I've made uh, because I'm investing in myself. I see it as an act of self-love. I don't see it as an indulgence. I actually see it all as a necessity for me, right? Um, That I have to be doing things like this to keep me uh, attuned, to keep me connected, to keep me uh, feeling alive and, um, and, and challenged. Um, and it's, it's, it, it transmutes into everything. Um, it, it helps you develop. It's only through 
experiences that you can uh, know yourself. You can know yourself, you know, uh, thinking about it, meditating, but actually putting yourself in situations that are challenging, confronting, scary, um, going into the unknown, which is what this is. We don't know what's going to happen. I, when my workshops start, I have no fucking clue what's going to happen. I'm following whatever's there. Right now, I have a structure in place and certain things, but it's just going to unfold uh, based on whatever this is happening in this group and, and, and what is shared. And there's a kind of an intelligence that's formed and it guides us in a certain way. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, if you're if you're on the if you're I don't know if you're on the fence, but if you're thinking about it, it's like it, it's also this particular offering. I mean, it's fucking awesome. I'm really excited about it. this. Is you know this is this is not so, I I would be looking for this. It's so unique. It's so interesting. Um, you get to do deep emotional work, and then you get to have these uh, two other uh, you know hunting. Everybody wants to have that experience. It's primal. It's primitive. And then this kind of survival training. It's just I don't know. There's nothing like it. And so I'm really proud of what we put together, and I'm excited about it. And uh, I'm excited to see like who the uh, the eight uh, dudes are, uh, I know they're out there. Uh, I know this, uh, all came about for a reason. I'm really trusting spirit in this and I know I'm going to get a lot from this. I'm going to learn a lot. And, uh, yeah, just, yeah. Feeling really grateful because I was looking for a, 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 a longer container, a bigger container. And then you came and said, let's do something. And I, I, I think what I said was, and you reminded me that the only thing I'm really interested in doing something like longer form, you know, like for a year or nine months. And so that's what this is. And, uh, yeah, I'm just stoked about it. Yeah, me too. I'm glad to be on the journey with you and to face the unknown with you. You know, it's not just the participants that are going to be facing it. You know, we, we, we've got our experiences and we've got our things locked down mm -hmm. and also, you know, for me in particular, nature, you have to surrender to nature. You have to surrender. And, and you are nature. And, yeah. And emotions are nature. Mm -hmm. and That's so right. This is just a practice for all of us in surrender. And the meat of what are the deer there in Molokai? Oh, the access deer. Access deer. So good, man. Yeah. I had venison tacos two days ago. It's it's off the charts. That meat is just incredible. Yeah. It's the it's I don't know how to describe. I mean, it tastes really good, but there's something. There's an energy to it. Yeah. And my lady, she she always she can feel the difference. And so that's like the bonus. You are going to come home with a lot of meat because there's a lot of access deer in that that island you yeah. know it's it's very unlikely i mean i was the only one who didn't get a kill yeah. i think right yeah. and uh everybody else got one or two yeah and so uh yeah i i uh i came home with a uh a freezer full of meat and uh, still enjoying it so uh that that that's a really powerful experience to know like oh what i'm eating like i were you know we were out there we killed this thing and yeah. And we did it in a good way, and now I'm eating it, and it does something to it. It's, it. Well, you know this. This is how it is for you all the time. But that that's that's powerful. Aho. Aho. Thank you, Monsel. 
Thank you, brother. Yeah, you're welcome. I, uh, I look forward to the experience, but this was just a fun conversation regardless.